0: Hello Great man Artist listeners, it's Katie here and just before we get into today's episode, the season finale of season seven, I want to let you know some very exciting news. I have written a book which is out this September. The Story of Art Without Men aims to retell art history with pioneering non-male artists who spearheaded movements and redefined the canon. It is available to pre-order now from Waterstones and more and I have linked to the book in the show notes. But in this series, I am so delighted to be continuing my partnership with the brilliant Alighieri Jewellery, who have been supporting the GWA podcast for the past two years. Alighieri creates fragmented talismans of imperfection hand cast in London's Hatton Garden from recycled silver and gold. The brand was founded by Rosh Matani to guide her through a dark time. Each piece has a story and invites you to unlock your own. For this last episode of the season, Rosh has recorded a wonderful message from us with a very special mention of up to 20% off Alighieri products with the code TGWA20 at checkout. Visit alighieri.com for more, and I hope you enjoy this episode. It's been absolutely magical to partner with the great women artists over the last 18 months, celebrating the magic of female creatives as a female founder is an absolute dream come true. And to celebrate the last episode of the season, we'd love to offer the Great Women Artists listeners a 20% off
1: all their purchases for this week on Allegaria.com.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most of them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities so you, the listener, can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. I'm so excited to say that my guest on the Great Women Artists podcast is the esteemed curator Caroline Bourgeois. Currently the curator of the Pinot Collection, Caroline Bourgeois has worked on contemporary art installations and projects with some of the most renowned artists alive today, from Dominique Gonzalez-Forster in Paris to Pierre Hugh in Venice and has curated some of the most extraordinary exhibitions in recent times, such as Urs Fischer, Albert Olin, Luke Tymans, Thomas Hausegö, and Dan Vaux, to name just a few, at the iconic museums Palazzo Grassi and Punta della Dogana. But the reason why we are speaking with Caroline Bourgeois today at the Bourse de Commerce in Paris, where she is also at the helm of organising the exhibitions, of which The Current is a beautiful dialogue between Felix Gonzalez-Torres and Ronnie Horne, is because she recently curated The Current exhibition at Palazzo Grassi, open-end by the esteemed South African artist Marlene Dumas. A painter of the face, the figure and the human psyche and form, Marlene Dumas is one of the most influential painters alive today. Collecting raw emotion and translating it visually onto the canvas through paint, Dumas derives her work from second-hand images and in turn creates internal portraits that trigger every sense in your body. Contradictory and complex, verging on the sublime and full of seduction, they are also enveloped in pain. Made without any prior studies, she holds a feeling, an emotion, and movement in the second of a moment. Although her figures are still, it is like they are moving, and although they are immortalized, it is like they are breathing. And I couldn't be more excited to say that she is the artist who we will be discussing today. Caroline Bourgeois, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing
1: today? Thanks, and I'm so happy to see you again after touring the show of Marlene Dumas a week ago.
0: I know. Thank you so much. I was so lucky to attend Palazzo Grassi and have a tour with you, and it just opened my mind up to Dumas' work. Before I saw your tour, I'd seen a few works by Marlene Dumas in the flesh, and it hadn't been for years since the Tate retrospective. But walking around It was electrifying. Not only do these paintings pulsate with colour and exude sensuality, but they appear full of motion. It is like she captures this raw, internal human emotion that you have never been able to express through any medium, which is at once full of strength, but also vulnerability. Not existing in any physical space, her works teeter on the threshold between life and death the internal and the external. It is like they are these memories that are familiar, yet at times ghoulish and haunting and alien. And so I want to start by asking you,
1: how do you feel when you are in front of a work by Marlene Dumas? Wow. Uh... (laughs) First, it's a work which can make you cry, and it's very rare to have that. I'm super proud with the catalog. We had a a woman writing on her work, and she speaks about the ghosts that she faces, the ghosts of our histories. And what I'm uh, very impressed by her work physically is that she's not afraid. She says she's afraid of everything, but she has the courage to go with the fear is. And that I respect tremendously.
0: Totally. I love that idea. These ghosts that kind of linger. They are, like I said, these threshold. They're sort of nowhere but everywhere. And is there one work that particularly affects you?
1: Well, um, Difficult to choose. Yes, it's very <laughs> difficult to choose because I'm obsessed with uh, all of them. And when we do a show, we try to make one thing, even if there's 100 works. So, of course, the one which I would speak more is the newest one. She's called Persona because it's not at all a classic studio practice. She paints when it's a need uh, for an exhibition, and um, she always said that she would do two new works for this exhibition. We started before COVID. She had a personal quite rough life because her husband passed and her best friend Hafif passed also so it was very dark time and I went to her studio when I could finally go back to Amsterdam Just to give her the strength to dare to do a new painting. And she told me it's going to be about death, Um, we knew. So she did the tombstone and persona. And she faced death without time frame. So the persona is a mask that she was used in the Rodin studios uh, about death. So, how to remember something and how to confront death with that mask. It's made with one color. So, to dare to go to something. Nearly minimal is something which is important. And the other thing I discover making the show with her is how much the painting are sculptures. They go beyond. You think about what's behind the painting and what's on the side of the painting. And that's also very unique. I mean, it's rare to feel the sculpture part of a painting always...
0: Yeah, I think that's so fantastic. And one of the works that really drew me in the exhibition was a small work called Smoke from 2018. And it's so interesting you say about sculpture because it's of this face and the smoke almost feels separate from the painting. And it's like these sort of little balls of crystals or something. It's like air.
1: So that painting, it's in a corridor that we call the alcoholic corridor because (laughs) (laughs) she speaks a lot about dependency. Sexual dependency, alcohol dependency, smoke dependency. But that specific painting, she has a use of blue, which is quite incredible. Blue, it's the cold, it's the water, but it's also the ice. So it's also something a bit dense. And it's also what's incredible in her is that she's possessed when she does the painting. It's to be in such a space. It's like a poet or a writer. They think what's happening is going through them. So to work with her is to allow that freedom space or weird space that she can go through. And that painting speaks about that also and and the time. And on top of that, I'm a smoker. So for me... <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know the feeling. <laughs>
1: yes, but you see also the link in between what you do to yourself or not. Because she's quite dry, compared to some other paintings where the woman is super warm. Uh, You guess it's smoking, but it could be something else. I see it as
0: cold air or something as well, when you're almost freezing to death.
1: That could also be that. And that's also what I like in her work, is that she allows you to really go far. Even in her writing, she wrote herself at the end the little text on each of the works. And I think the thing which is important in the exhibition is to share, but to allow imagination.
0: She's so generous like that as well and sometimes you can look at the text afterwards and, you know, can't even imagine that's what she was thinking. I love how we all bring our own minds to this but I love this idea of possession because you totally also, as a viewer, feel possessed by them.
1: It's, uh, for me, also Of course, she does that alone. Uh, Yes. (laughs) We included a painting in the show called Drunk, which is not too far from the smoke. And she shows that uh, what state she might need to be to allow herself to risk to do a painting. So it's always at night and always alone. And she does a painting just when it's a necessity. It's uh, generally inspired by an image. She has a big archive, which come back in different ways. And there's no relationship with immediate time, it could be something coming from 50 years ago 200 years ago but it's a mood to speak about smoke or dependency and then she works on that mood. And then some paintings go fast, some paintings doesn't. But she also shows you the fight with the painting and the, she used the materiality of it to let it happen. So it's, um, it's never applied, yeah. it's never controlled. She let it happen.
0: Yeah. But I love how in the exhibition you can see, because she, I guess she doesn't make the paintings on the wall. She paints them sort of
1: on the floor. On the, floor. Really and so on the floor. when
0: you see the paint seeping on the side of the canvas, this idea of possession, it's almost like it
1: possesses the canvas. And she does the same with the ink on paper. So she moved the paper to make the shape happen. But it's not a classic way of painting either.
0: No, not at all. But you can feel that she does them in a night or there is this sense of urgency in the work as well. I mean, it's like she captures this memory or fleeting moment in the second of a moment.
1: Yes. And <laughs> no, but she's incredible for that. And she dares to deal with emotion. I mm. mean, everything is with emotion. You cannot be just analytic, for example. And that's why she's so generous. She tried to share. So she gives emotion, but without manipulation.
0: Totally. And I'm fascinated. You mentioned that she works with this huge archive of secondhand images, because instead of painting from life, she actually paints from this archive of imagery. Something, am I right in thinking, must have stemmed from her upbringing in South Africa at a time of apartheid, when images were censored and later her move to Holland in the 1970s to study. What is the effect of drawing from this such rich archive
1: of images? Well, when she arrived in Holland uh, from South Africa, she discovered a wild world. So she had a Polaroid. So she took pictures to fix a moment, to try to understand a moment, to look at it after. So it's more to keep thinking or growing. It could be works of art. It could be political moment. And that you see in the show that there is all those different uh, effects. But it's more a kind of a dialogue. She never reproduced exactly an image. For example, The Dead Marilyn, uh, Mm. which is based on an image she found in a Netherlands newspaper with the dead body of Of Marilyn, Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. You feel the death and she's not beautiful. It's another blue painting. It feels like the body's already rotten. It's the opposite of what we would think of Marilyn Monroe or about the myth of Marilyn Monroe is the reality of Marilyn Monroe and how difficult it was for her. So you are in front of a real death, not um, just a symbol of a death. And that's also the difference. She brings you to something we usually don't look at or we're afraid to look at. It's confronting.
0: It's also full of seduction and pain at the same time because you can look at these works that are about death, but
1: they're so alluring in a sort of strange way as well. There's also a lot of erotic paintings and even the death paintings are erotic. There's a kind of liquidity of flesh in it. And what she tries to do, but she says it in a beautiful way, is that for all of us, we go beyond Diego and beyond the dependency to the States to try to make you free also to confront, not to be afraid. If you're afraid, fear is the worst in life and in politics too. That she witnessed when she was in South Africa. with The very rich people, they were surrounded by private police. It's fear. Everything is fear. And the beautiful thing of Nelson Mandela is to say when he did that fantastic truth and the sorrow that the torture met the martyrs. So this is the only way to go further. It's space sharing instead of accusing.
0: Yeah, I find that so incredibly effective. And you call the exhibition at Palazzo Grassi Open End, which also can speak to so much. How did this title come about?
1: When we started the exhibition, the thought was about four years ago. I was a bit panicking at the beginning because she's quite a strong uh, character, <laughs> and uh, when you don't know her so much, it feels like a lot of messy thing around, which is not at all the case at the end. And this is fantastic. So during the process, and uh, like about a year ago, she proposed when her husband died, and she was very with the end of a moment. So she proposed open and. Uh, And that's a way of sharing, but also a way of saying that a nun can be a beginning. So it's very typical of Marlene, I would say, that uh, nothing is definitive. There's a life even in in a nun. The erotic painting is about life. It's like we speak a lot in in psychoanalysis about the uh, sexual pulsion, which is the life compared to the death pulsion. And she also did the psychological studies. (laughs) So it's... um, Like you. uh, Like me. Uh, However, this is the energy. It's how to give energy.
0: I mean, so many thoughts are going through my mind. I mean, it's just extraordinary. You know, I am so attracted to the death paintings. And what I love about them is that the death paintings are almost like a... You know, I often see like a painting as a starting point for me, the viewer. And actually it's opening up this painting and I'm going to take my life to it and actually that's going to start something else. So it's like the end of something starts again. Mm. Beautiful. (laughs) But I'm fascinated. I mean, I'd love to go into her upbringing. I mean, you mentioned it just now that she came to Holland when she was older and she grew up at an incredibly political time during apartheid in South Africa. I mean, she was born in Cape Town in 1953. Can you tell us about what sort of environment she
1: grew up in? Well, as far as I understood, her family is afrikaner so it's not like the big, white, rich family. It's very different. Um, Africanaires were uh, workers, and her father was doing wine. She was the youngest. Her mom died when she was uh, quite young, 12, I think. So she was faced with death and faced with a political uh, strong thing. But she was also taught by her brother, who became a... Um, priest. There's a painting of the brother called Di Baba in the exhibition where you see the knowledge of the older and he told her how much the religion in South Africa was involved with the segregation. So she was quite soon aware of segregation and also the bodies the blackitude, the dance, the movement, the earth, the weight of nature is very much there. And also not such a great culture. In the little movie that you may have uh, the time to see, she shows how good she was in drawings, but she was thinking to entertain. So she was doing very quickly drawings, and she thought maybe I can do something with that. But she had no clue of what an artist was. She had no clue of a lot of culture which is granted for us, but it was a very different one.
0: I mean, maybe I'm reading into this because I know that when she was growing up, so many images and information were censored. But you can also just tell this hunger for images as well and this need to sort of get beneath images as well.
1: That's all her work. But I think um, the halls in Holland, which is a shock for us behind the windows, this is a big revolution and also to see white woman that change her. And there's also that question when you're coming from a different origin that being a whole to make money could be a pleasure or could save a life. It's not just, you see what I mean? So to reopen the question. And I love the way she paints um, for example, her Turkish girl. girl, She assumes her body. She's pleased with her body. It's like a freedom. It's not a submission. Even if sex can put you in a submission way, but that's also a big subject. Who's the subject? That's the dependency. It's a question of relation, not just the bad and the good one. Yeah. So it's, it opens again.
0: Totally. And so you begin the exhibition with these paintings called Kiss, Direction and Turkish Girl, and they're quite small paintings in a way. But what I find amazing about her work is, no matter what size it is, it holds so much power in a way you can't even sort of tell what scale it is because it draws you in in such a powerful way. But I'm fascinated that you started with these images. What story did you want to tell with the exhibition and why start with these images?
1: We started the whole show based on her two newest show, one which was called Myth and Mortal, which happened in uh, New York in 2018, and Double Take, which happened in Antwerp in 2020. And we started from there to make dialogue with earlier work. So The Kiss starts from her latest show in New York. It's also a small painting in which sometimes you see the subject, sometimes you don't see. So there's a dialogue in between abstraction and figure. But when you're in front, sometimes you forgot completely the kiss. You're just in the painting itself, like swimming in a painting in a way. That's why we started with this one. It's also to start with the body because the body is the only truth to know the ghost we carry. Uh, is going through our bodies and all of us. There's some knowledge that we have beyond culture or beyond education, which are there. And so we had to start with the body. First, it's our tool. If we have nothing else, it's the body. And to face what the body carries. So in a way, the first floor is a lot about how the body share and the fear of the body, what we do with the body and the death that the body has and then even some of the political position has.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I can see why you say that like people cry about paintings (laughs) because I feel so emotional thinking about this as well because you said at the beginning this idea of ghosts and it's almost like these bodies, they're so ambiguous and they're so unspecific that they could be us and they could be us in all these different situations and almost like a sort of imprint of us as well and this idea of being bruised and... In motion, I don't know. There is something so powerful about them, but also painful
1: as well. Both, uh, but I, again, I'm sure she knows pain could be a, a pleasure.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely.
1: And she's not afraid of that, and we should not be afraid of that as a woman. It's some other artist uh, who works specifically on the, the body. Could, but what I love on her is that she make happen to be proud of our body. She speaks about erotics. She speaks also about ecstasies, even if it's just a face. And this is the energy. She gives energy with that. It's incredible.
0: They radiate energy. It's incredible. I'm even just looking at reproductions now. I remember standing in front of this work called Awkward. I also love that also sometimes age matters and you can see that someone's a kid or they could be elderly. But actually, a lot of the time, it's just about bodies, as you say. And, and Awkward, I think you gave pretty much a whole wall to it. It's huge. It's it's really blown up, and it's almost kind of like looking up at a Greek statue or something. And it's these two bodies that almost look like they're about to have intercourse. They're sort of standing up, or they could be sort of trapped between like a doorway. I always think as well. But there is so much tenderness. Even the sort of gender is skewed
1: as well. But it's about so, um, tension. It's about. <laughs> The moment that you're going to start to touch someone or maybe kiss someone, but you don't dare yet. And it's in between two men of two different age, uh, oh. when you read the little book. Awkward, I love the titles yes. of the uh, of, uh, Because Marlene. it's always awkward. <laughs> because it's that very moment that all of us had lived at least once when you don't dare if you cross that border or you don't, which is the body language. And... Uh, you refer to the Greek sculpture, but she started since four years to do those huge formats that she did in the past with the series of the Magdalena when she was at the Venice Biennale in the Holland Pavilion, which speaks for me so much about sculpture. You see that painting, but you guess what's happening behind. You imagine that it could be two thousand years ago or uh, ten minutes ago. That uh, time frame. Uh, and I think it's very rare a painter who can do small paintings as well as big ones like that. Because if you look on the details, the two hands, they abstract, they're not draw. So there's a kind of liquidity of the painting which lets you go in. Or you feel like the, you need the smell of the painting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have so much to say of what you just said. First of all, the sense that sculpture, you know, there's this work called Homage to Michelangelo and it almost feels like this relic, but also, you know, when sculptures have been sort of battered over the over 2,000 years or something and you've got sort of missing limbs, it almost feels like that. And you can see that kind of imprint of the marble or the concrete or something. And then what you were saying about um, scale, tongues is, is in the next room and it's this small painting, almost the tenth of the size of... Awkward. And it's almost like the aftermath because it, it's like you completely go back to that feeling of kissing someone or something.
1: Well, tongues, it's a, a black person and a white person. You don't know which gender they are, but it's like um, eating. Yes. It's a, a kind of possession of the other. So it's a, more like the dream of being one, being two. And you don't know if it's happening or not happening. And there's three kiss in the show. So, Kiss, kissing tongues. So, tongues, it's deeper, and you feel that the mouth, it's more about nearly integrating the other one in yourself. So, it's like being also a monster. It might be nice or it might be a monster. You don't know.
0: Yeah, and I love this idea of really playing with color as well. I mean, you know, she uses such a broad. Color palette in the sense that she works monochromatically, but also this work has so many colors in it. And where the two mouths are kissing, it's this bright red. I see it with Alice Neal when Alice Neal sort of will put a red stroke on an ear, and it's because there's so much tension that they can't almost hear anything going on. And you can feel that ear
1: burning in a way. Do you know what I mean? Well, I love the red, of course. The red is obviously blood, but it's also when you're super excited, our lips get red. Um, And when we're in a lack of energy, they became white because we're so tired. Yeah, And so she's really speaking about blood relationship uh, when she has uh, the red moon, for example, which is a very different painting, which is a nod to the Olympia. This painting, you can see that she fights. It's not a one-go and it's not liquid. And the red is coming from the sky, but it could be the death of... It's bloody. It's yeah. not just nice. It's a fascinating painting because you guess the, the body behind the black because of the red. And you don't know if she's alive, if she's in ecstasy, or if she's losing her blood.
0: Oh, it's so interesting. I mean, I never even thought of that. Actually, Red Moon is one of my favourite paintings in the entire exhibition. And for the listeners, I will be sharing all these images. Um, (laughs) But it is this kind of long horizontal work. And it, it really sort of looks, I mean, I know it's based on John Everett Millet's Ophelia. And Ophelia was the tragic female protagonist in Shakespeare's Hamlet. And it's so interesting you say about blood because I almost, it's this woman and she's lying in a black sea and it looks like the midnight. And I guess it's called Red Moon because of the reflection but it, it almost feels like quite neon and disco-like.
1: <laughs> in a way. And uh, again, she, so she, that's what inspires Marlene, but she wants to bring it in the possible other way. So she might be just in ecstasy and just let her, herself floating. There's no pain in the face, so to speak. It's very different than just, she could make something tragic. But again, she wants to open all the time. Yes, so it, it's not to manipulate you, to bring you back to the real story. It's to make from whatever, something which open a, a different perspective, approach, feeling. And me, I see her in ecstasy. I don't see her in pain, in her dying at all. <laughs> yeah. The red behind is very vivid. Yeah.
0: But it's almost like there's like a neon sign above, which Absolutely. also yeah, has a sort of seductive element to it as well. And you put it next to this amazing work called The Visitor of These Girls with their backs to us who just look like they're on a night out. But also when you paint someone in water, it's such a charged meaning because it can mean so much, but also it can mean that you are submerged.
1: Well, there's two paintings about water <laughs> and a woman. There's the one meaning her; it's uh, the lady in the water yeah, uh, losing her sense. And the water is also something which is so essential. The sea, there's a kind of beauty, but it's how there's a reflection, meaning her sense, her body is also very much there. So you don't know if it's despair or the opposite, uh, becoming more individual, becoming more yourself. The the water also, it's a way to understand the limit of your own body. When we, The first time you go to the sea and we're born in water, absolutely. (laughs) So it's um, something which gives you food in Mm. a way. Uh, It's essential for the body. We are made of water also.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that water's always been there, the sea's always been there. It's like the most ancient thing of all. But I'm fascinated. I mean, going around this exhibition really opened my eyes up to how influential Marlene Dumas is on so many painters practicing today. Just in the way that, you know, She's almost like the person who came before. She was like the sort of, even though she's painting now, I know she was working in the 80s and 90s, but she's almost like the sort of titan of painting. She's like the leader. <laughs> Does that make
1: sense? Uh, well, for me, she's incredible. In a way, f- there's a lot more return to paintings those days and figure. What I love, really, is for me, she's a master. And every great painter we speak to say that they need to make mistakes. The mistake are... Uh, the success it's nearly like each painting is the first one she does yeah Uh, one take yeah but she puts everything on each of the paintings she's making so to speak and that's also incredible i hope she's an energy for so many others
0: Yes, I think that's the perfect way of saying it. It's energy. But I love this idea that she uses art history as well. She's almost like the threshold between art history and now, in the sense that she's referencing Millet, she's referencing Michelangelo, you know, looking at biblical figures as well, like the Magdalena's. I mean, I'm fascinated by this, because the way that Mary Magdalene has always been presented in art history is kind of like, not exactly positive. And, actually, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> put it Nicely. but. There was an Artemisia Gentileschi show in London a few years ago, and she painted her as a woman, enjoying her own pleasure. And it was like, oh my God, I've never even seen this before. Can you talk a bit about the Mary Magdalene and how Dumas kind of repositioned her? Like she's repositioned a lot of women in art history.
1: What I think is incredible is that she made herself herself. And she go to all the archives and also to find France, so to speak, and to rewrite history. And those friends, that's why there is portrait of Pasolini, for example, or Michelangelo, who helped her to go further, for sure. And in terms of a woman's position in Magdalena, she reversed, we are in power, it's a decision that we have to take. I mean, speaking each of us and specifically women. Yeah. And again, even a horn is in power. So now we speak a lot about empowering women. But she had that necessity since the beginning. And imagine that she came to Holland alone. She was afraid to go to New York. She had no idea of what Europe meant. Or... So she had to empower herself as we a lot of us had to do to make it happen, to dare. And so she's make it further and further. And she needs the loneliness to be able to to dare. But this is what she does all the time, I think. And uh, she did the same thing with death. Uh, she empowered it uh, instead yeah. of... Uh, it's the opposite of being submit. Yeah,
0: submission, uh, submission, yeah.
1: Submission. And I don't think she would dare to speak in a too general way, but she speaks about her challenge with the painting is to share and it's to make a kind of freedom with the way it is made as well as the subject uh, to go beyond what we are under. She participated in an incredible show, which was in Reading in England, which was the Oscar Wilde jail uh, in which she did Oscar Wilde. And Oscar Wilde was in that jail. The people thinking they were doing good in the jail, they could never see anyone. They had a hat on top. And he became crazy after that. So she speaks about what the man can do to man. But that exhibition was about giving a freedom even if you lock down. This is one of her goals.
0: Yeah, I love this idea of friends as well, because I guess, you know, she is painting the infamous and the famous as well. But I'm fascinated, you have in the exhibition a lot of work from the Great Men series as well. So it's not just about women, but she's looking at Great Men. I mean, can you expand on what this series is?
1: So the Great Men series started when she was invited by Gaspar kuning in St. Petersburg, Russia, to participate to Manifest. And she decided to start works on paper about gay people, which is forbidden in Russia as a position famous gay people, with making portraits, uh, she's incredible in making portraits also. And again, on those, you can see the one which was one go and some yeah. which was not. Bacon was not. You, oh, really? You could see on the way. I love in, Hilton Owls as well. Yes. <laughs> and um, when she started that, she could still continue that. So it's a work in process. It's never finished. Uh, and it was typical her to show what cannot be seen in Russia, which was forbidden. I mean, I was surprised that it was not censored. And uh, now she made um, two new ones, uh, including the transgenre. Yeah. Genre. In that case, it was more directly political, but it was a need to be more directly political. She's political in every way. Any big artist in the world is political, on my point of view, anyway. Because they, they speak about... a the evolutions, the challenge, the question of what do we do with ourselves. And in that case, um, I think she's super concerned by segregation in general. That's also one of the big influence with South Africa. And in that case, they were segregated. And we hope today we are not going to go back to the old times, but um, when you see what's happened in the States with the abortion thing, it's like uh, you wonder. So we still need to be very cautious
0: Yeah, and I love this idea that she's sort of, she's fighting through her art as well. You know, Absolutely. just making visible these people.
1: So she adds a little text about who's who oh, is on the top of the portrait. It's portraits just for everyone to understand. And uh, the one which are still alive or not. And the room is completed with the Oscar Wilde portraits and his lover, which is incredible. Oh, see. And the portrait of Jean Genet, who's also a fantastic uh, writer with his first and last boyfriend. So it's how beautiful they are.
0: Totally, and immortalizing in this such seductive but ghoulish way and also, like you said earlier, this sculptural essence. You can almost imagine their mind in there as well, behind it, the skull.
1: Yes, and it's also people who had to fight to be who they were. As women, we had to fight to be who we are. So this is also something in common when you speak Magdalena to change the point of view. In the Jeunet painting, you see the fear. And today, a lot of them still, they have to reinvent who they are. to leave their um, specificity.
0: And I have to ask because for some reason I'm so attracted to the image. It's called a painting called Bride from 2018. And I know that every single person who went to your exhibition was just taken with this work. It's of a bride and the whole image is veiled.
1: I mean, tell us about this. Uh, So Bride, it's a kind of bad person behind Bride. So it's like a Again, very frightening. So we put next to her taboo, which is the strength of the black body, and immaculate. Bride is the wedding. She's saying, is the wedding a goal in life? I don't think it's a goal in life. And it brings the woman as a dead person. In some culture, to get married, you had to be um, a virgin or make a fake virgin. So there were a lot of terrible operations to make it uh, happen. And um, it's super strong for me. It's kind of fake goals. And she tells you this might not be a goal at least. Yeah. Because nothing is uh, definitive in Marlene's work. It's to open different meanings. And it could be something to, what's the dress compared to the body?
0: Mm. I just think the effect of veils and painting is so alluring. It's You know, her work almost reminds me a lot of Bernini, the Baroque sculptor, and in a way, the way that he played with marble and the touch. And when you see like Apollo and Daphne, you're just completely swept up in the moment. And when you see their thighs, you can see the sort of imprint of the fingers on it and then the veils of the women and the ecstasy of St. Teresa. It's about the moment. I mean, her work is quite Baroque in a strange way.
1: Also, me, I'm thinking a lot about Goya, who was so political also, but the expression, even in fish, happens with the they're alive it happens with the azar of the painting and that's what she touched i think for me she's as important and she the baroque for sure because it was a period the bodies start to explode uh, but it was a question since uh, the renaissance there were a lot of great in sculpture great uh,
0: <laughs> but also it's so interesting what you say about goya because when i look at a goya it's almost like you know a goya is dreams goya's nightmares and he presents the figure but he also presents what's beyond the figure as well
1: Totally. And I was fascinated because I thought the painting by Goya was so contemporary. Yes. Incredible. (laughs) Uh, So they were the power people, they're dead in Goya's painting. The poor one are alive. The power of beliefs is so strong. And she has the same, in a way, she faith in the human being because it's there with the energy and the idea to go beyond ego or beyond individual so you're more at peace with your own uh, 75 years' life to think of what did you give.
0: Yeah, totally. And
1: it's the gift which is the more important.
0: Absolutely. And these shadows and these ghosts that we leave behind as well and these traces of our lives that we leave behind. She's capturing that through painting whether it be emotions or people or fighting or anything. And... I'm fascinated by her relationship to poetry as well. I mean, you know, she says that poetry is writing that breathes and makes jumps and leaves spaces open so we can read between the lines.
1: I mean, what is her relationship to poetry? Well, for me, she is a poet. Yes, yes. (laughs) She is with her writings and with her paintings. Totally. There's no one word or one explanation. She's beyond that. And poetry is really to give space in between words. She gives space in between image and she gives space with the materiality on the same time, all the, the ink that she's using. There's no goal, there's not the idea of uh, you have to do this or to succeed this or to, and to dare, she had to be a bit of a poet because uh, we don't have the tools to go that far. The writing goes through her, she doesn't control it because we how to find the energy to face something that you don't know and this is poem so it's to risk with words but you don't know what is going it's a third dimension and i think she's doing the paintings the same way it's a kind of third dimension
0: absolutely what a fantastic note to end on caroline bourgeois this has just been the most incredible insightful Just interesting discussion I've ever had on Marlene Dumas. Thank you so much. But as it says, the Great Human Artists podcast, I know that you do know Marlene Dumas very well. So, I mean, you can say anything to her. But if there was one thing that you might say to her and ask her, what would it be?
1: Thanks to Exist. And uh, I told her that. I even wrote that in the catalog because uh, she gave us the strength to go further. And the paintings, I could stay uh, for hours with them. And more you stay with them more you see things and the same with Marlene if you start to speak with her like poems poems can put you in tears and could give you a different space you don't feel even your brain the same way so thanks to Exist
0: Thank you Marlene and thank you so
1: much Caroline Bourgeois for coming on the podcast today Thanks to you it was very interesting and and, uh, dynamic
0: Thank you all so much for listening to the season finale of season seven of the Great Woman Artists podcast with the inimitable Caroline Bourgeois. What an absolutely incredible insight into the work and life of Marlene Dumas, and I urge you all to visit the fantastic exhibition at Palazzo Grassi in Venice. Thank you so much to my wonderful sponsors, Alighieri, for their fantastic support for this season. As mentioned in the introduction, there is a new code of up to 20% off Alighieri products with the code TGWA20 at checkout. Thank you so much to my wonderful sound editor, Nardis Manelic, and research assistant, Viva Ruji. And thank you so much for listening to season seven of the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel, and I'll see you next time for more.